Good evening. Merry Christmas. Hey, if you are visiting with us for the first time this evening, welcome. We are so glad and so honored that you would come and share this special time with us together. Uh, my name is Josh Swanson, and if I've never met you before, I'm actually fairly new to this church. Uh, I, I uh, uh, moved my family out here back in February of last year, and so we've been here for almost a year. And uh, so if you're new, uh, I'm also new. And so this could be a good time for you to join and become a part of this church because we can all be new together. Does that sound good? Yes. All right. And are you all ready for Christmas tomorrow? Yes, more or less. I uh, ran into somebody tonight. I was chatting with them, and a little girl said to me that uh, what she was hoping for Christmas was $10,000 so that she could purchase a horse. And I looked at her dad, and I just said, I'm sorry. That's hard. <laughs> But it is great to be able to take space tonight and just to pause in the midst of a very busy season of cooking and shopping and traveling and bringing in guests and getting homes ready and just to pause and to reflect on the significance of the incarnation of God with us. So I want to invite you just to pause and to pray with me before we open up uh, God's word and I just share with you a little reflection tonight. Our great God and Father, we come to you tonight in wonder and in awe and with our full worship and our love for you, O oh God. We thank you that you have not left us alone in this world, but you have come to us in your son Jesus to be God with us, to be God among us, to be God for us. And we thank you, O oh God, that you have entered into this world in Christ to take on the power of sin and death and darkness and to destroy it forever. And we pray that as we open up your word now that you'd open up our hearts and you would enable us to hear what you want us to hear. And we ask this in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So tonight we've been listening together to the story of the birth of Jesus given to us in the Gospel of Luke. Now Luke was a historian, he, and he, uh, he checked all the sources, and he talked to all the right people, and he gives to us an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And Luke gives to us in his Gospel most of the information that we have regarding the birth of Christ. And his Gospel actually informs for us most of our Christmas pageants and our Christmas cards and our nativity sets and all of that. He tells us about the shepherds, about angels, about Mary and Joseph and the little baby who was wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And he tells to us about all these different familiar details about the birth of Christ. And what I want to do tonight is I want to just focus on one of the scenes in the story as it unfolds to us about the birth of Jesus. And the scene is out on the plains in Judea. It's dark. And there's one angel, and then there's an entire multitude of angels who break out in this angelic choral concert for a group of shepherds out in the fields. And the scene is described like this. It says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 12. It says, 
or verse 13, it says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I want to just reflect briefly with you tonight on angels and on shepherds. And I think in some ways it's, a, it's, it's uh, appropriate for us in this space to be reflecting on angels and shepherds because actually at the very center of this sanctuary, the very focal point of our sanctuary is a stained glass piece that depicts the angels on that first Christmas morning declaring to the shepherds about the birth of Christ. And if you think about it, the angels up here at the very center, uh, if these are the angels, then what does that make you? Shepherds. Or as my wife pointed out, you could also be sheep or grass or some other things that were out there. It could be a wide variety of things. But I want to just think with you tonight a little bit about shepherds and angels and specifically how shepherds and angels invite us to celebrate the birth of Christ how to celebrate Christmas. So let's talk for a moment about angels. Now, I've never seen an angel. I've never been touched by an angel. Uh, I think in a, in a secular age, it can be difficult for some of us to believe in the existence of angels. But I, I do think we as human creatures need to have a little bit of humility about us. I mean, not everything that exists are things that you've seen. And not everything that exists has been seen by everything that exists. And so a Siberian tiger has never seen a jellyfish. And uh, cockroaches are unaware of Venus. And do you suppose that we are the only creatures in ultimate reality that are aware of everything that exists? Now, in popular imagination, angelic beings are oftentimes depicted as babies that are fat with these little wings, and sometimes they're pasty white. They look like they haven't seen the sun very often. Uh, sometimes they're a bit effeminate, but that's in popular imagination. You know, in Scripture, angelic beings are really terrifying creatures. They are majestic and beautiful and glorious. They're like great warriors of light. And in fact, the very thing that an angel says every time he appears, it's the, it's the thing that they're, it's like the first line that an angel is taught in angel training school, is they are taught the line, do not be afraid. Because every time human creatures encounter one of these glorious angelic beings, their natural visceral response is terror. It is fear. And so in scripture, they're magnificent warriors of light. And here out on the plains of Judea, Luke tells us that an entire choir of angels was sent to announce the good news of the birth of Jesus to these shepherds. And they break out into this concert. And I can just imagine that these angels perhaps, they spent weeks, maybe months, perhaps years, maybe decades, maybe millennia, rehearsing and practicing. I know some of you have probably been in choirs before and you know how they are. They make you practice and rehearse. And here this choir is rehearsing the, for the greatest moment in the history of the world. They are rehearsing to give the greatest choral concert surrounding the most sublime theme put on by the most angelic, literally angelic voices in the history of the world. 
and no doubt they rehearsed and they rehearsed and they practiced. And then they go out. And who do they perform this concert for? Now think with me for a second. This is the only time in the, history, in the story of Jesus. It's the only time actually in all of the Bible. It's the only time you could say in the history of the world that a choir concert was ever given to a group of human beings. And who are the human recipients of this choral concert? It is shepherds. And I can just imagine these angelic beings, you know, flying out to perform this concert. And there they are, they fly past Caesar's palace and right past the Colosseum in Rome and right on past Herod's fortress and right past the estates in Arcadia and in um, (laughs) Jerusalem. Right out past the middle class homes, out past the gated communities, out actually beyond the city limits, way out into the fields where the field hands are working, dirty. (laughs) And they perform this incredible choral concert for him. Now, who were these shepherds anyway? Now, I know in a lot of our imagination, you know, especially if, if, like me, you played a shepherd in a bathrobe pageant when you were a child, you have fond memories of shepherds. If you're a parent or a grandparent who saw your little son or granddaughter or whatever performing as a shepherd, you're like, oh, they're so quaint and they're so romantic, and they're so cute. (laughs) But you know, in the first century, that is not how shepherds were viewed. In fact, there's a section in the Jewish Mishnah which was a, a commentary on the law, and it gave a bunch of rules and stipulations for Jewish culture and society. There is a rule in there to not buy milk or wool from a shepherd because they said it almost is certainly stolen. And it's because shepherds were looked down upon with great suspicion, They were at the very bottom rung of the social status ladder. I mean, they were really the nobodies in society. And they were dirty, they were smelly, they were looked down upon, they were considered unclean by many people. And it is to these people that this incredible choral concert is given. Isn't that incredible? You think, what is God doing? You know, and we can just imagine, you know... uh, The shepherds are out there in the fields. Maybe they're, you know, sitting around a campfire, drinking whiskey, telling dirty jokes or whatever. Then all of a sudden, there's one angel. And then they're just terrified. And then all of a sudden, there's an entire multitude of angels. And now they're completely freaked out. And God blows this incredible, long-awaited choral concert, the greatest one in the history of the world, on these shepherds, these poor, marginalized, low-status, dirty old shepherds out in the fields in Judea. What is God doing? What on earth is God doing? Well, God is doing, of course, what God always does. God always gives the best to the least. God always notices the unnoticed. God always sees the unseen. This is what God does. Here on the the night of Christmas, the words of Mary are being fulfilled. She said, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he has exalted those of lowly estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he has sent away empty. 
I want to just pause for a moment. I want to just drill down on the words of Mary's psalm when she talks about how on the first Christmas, God was actually exalting those of low estate. And I suggest that here we learn something of how we can celebrate Christmas this year. I want to suggest first that we can celebrate Christmas this year by joining God and his work to exalt those who are of humble estate. We can celebrate Christmas with God by exalting those who are of poor estate. You know, I was thinking as we were singing that song tonight, Oh Holy Night, and there's that, that line in the song, it says, chains shall he break, for the slave is my brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. You know, there's different ways in which you can narrate the story of the church over the last 2,000 years. On one level, you could talk about all of the compromises of the church, the way in which the church has been complicit with imperial power, has gotten wrapped up in money and the exercise of politics and power and all of that. And that certainly is one way to tell the story of the church. But that is by no means the only way to tell the story of the church. You see, there's always been a second story happening throughout the history of the world. And it's the story of how God has been at work through the church to exalt those of low estate. Do you realize that in the ancient world, in the Greco-Roman world, it was a violent, brutal, oppressive place. It was not a good place to be poor. It was not a good place to be a peasant. It was not a good place to be a woman. It was not a good place even to be a child because all of those statuses in life were very low. But as the gospel began to spread for the first time in human history, women's position in society was being elevated. Children were being elevated. Slaves were being elevated. And in the name of Christ, oppression was being driven out. And those of humble estate were being lifted up. This is what God does. This is what God has been doing. This is what God was doing on the first Christmas night. He was noticing the unnoticed. He was seeing the unseen. He was going after those who were of humble estate. And he was saying, you are my, I love you. I'm into you and I'm lifting you up. You are no worse than, than Herod in Jerusalem. And you are no lower than Caesar in Rome. You are all one human family, all equal before my eyes, all made in my image. And this is the way in which God has been transforming the world through the church over the last 2,000 years. And so how do we want to celebrate Christmas this year? Well, you can celebrate Christmas by participating with God in his work to exalt those of humble estate. You say, well... How, 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 how can I do that? Well, there's many and sundry ways in which we can participate with God in this work. You can volunteer your time to help at-risk kids at Gidley Middle School. You can provide education and healthcare and encouragement through giving resources to Compassion International or World Vision. You can bring beauty and poetry and art and music into an urban neighborhood. You can become a doctor and do Doctors Without Borders and go into the developing world and help those who do not have help. You can live on less and you can give more of your money away. You can serve a meal and eat a meal with a down and outer down in downtown Los Angeles. 
You can help to provide education and health care and parenting skills. You can participate in foster care and adoption, and you can support those who do. There is no shortage of ways whereby you and I can participate with God in his work to see those who are of low estate exalted. And this is an incredible need in our world because our world is marked by a radical imbalance of power and wealth, a crazy disparity. And God sees it, and that's why God is at work to elevate those of humble estates. I remember a while back talking to a friend of mine. We were talking about actually this aspect of the story of Christmas. And she said, well, what, is it, what does God have against rich people? It's a fair question, right? How come, he's, how, come he's, how come he's exalting the poor, but then he's humbling the rich? He's bringing down the rich. Like, what has he got against rich people? I mean, in my experience, they're usually pretty nice. And all things being equal, I'd like to have a little bit more money, wouldn't you? Don't look at me like that, you liars. <laughs> what is God doing? Well, it's, it's just like Star Wars. There's been an imbalance in the force. <laughs> there's imbalance in the world and it needs to be righted. And of course, there's various and sundry reasons why there's such a disparity between rich and poor and why that disparity is growing worse and wider and, and bigger. It's complex, all of the reasons for it, but there are real ways whereby we as the people of God can get engaged in exalting those of lowly estate and seeking to bring more balance to a world that is marked by radical disparity of rich and poor, a radical imbalance of wealth. And this is how we can celebrate Christmas. But there's a second way I think this text can teach us to celebrate Christmas, not only by joining God in his work to exalt those of humble estate. Secondly, you can celebrate Christmas by receiving God's grace and becoming somebody of humble estate. I remember hearing a story a while back of a, of a group of, of Christians from a church in a very affluent area, and they had participated in a service project in downtown Los Angeles, and it was with a school, and they were kind of improving it and whatnot, and there was a bunch of kids and low-income families that are a part of it. And to be prepared to go down and do this work and to kind of like join the team together, they all created these shirts that said in really large print, serving the least, the last, and the lost. And it said that in the front of the shirt, and uh, so they had been working all day, and then they brought all of the people in this inner city and their families to come in and see the work that had been done. And right, uh, you know, they kind of walked into the room, and then all of the church group kind of looked over at them, and they smiled and said hi, and, and the, the look on the people's faces was crushed. Oh, so we're the last, the least, and the lost that you have come to help. Paternalism is rampant, and it's a problem. And the only way to really remedy that problem, I think, among us as we go to seek to exalt those of humble estate is to recognize that we too are of humble estate, that we too are poor in our own rights and in our own ways. We are all broken and we are all in need of grace. You know, I can look around this room, we are different in so many ways. I mean, some of you, you're old and some of you are young. Some of you are dressed pretty casual and some of you are dressed really, really nice to the T. 
Uh, some of you are Democrats and some of you are Republicans. Some of you uh, like country music and some of you like good music. There's all <laughs> kinds of ways. We are different in so many ways and we have different stories. Some of you guys came from very nice kind of up, you know, right families and you've had a charmed life. And some of you, you have been abused and you have been used and you have been hurt in so many ways. And we are so different in this room, but in this we are all the same. All of us are more broken before the face of God than we could ever imagine. And yet we are more loved by God than we ever dared hope. And this is who the gospel, this is who God's grace is for. It is for shepherds. That's why I began tonight by talking about this stained glass and who we are. We are in the place of shepherds, of humble estate before the face of God. Or put it like this, I mean, who are Christians anyway? I mean, are Christians the together people? Are Christians the most morally upright people, the put together people who have it all together? Uh, no, those people are typically attracted to other philosophies and religions. Christianity typically appeals to people who are from broken homes and broken families and who have actually come to recognize that before the face of God, despite how much money they have in the bank, they are poor. And there they, dis they discover the words of Jesus, blessed are the poor in spirit, for to them belong the kingdom of God. The gospel is not for people who perform or are impressive. It's, it's for people who are broken, just like the shepherds. The gospel is for ordinary people, for people who are a mess and who, people who recognize that they are in need. Religion is different than that. Religion says that the good are in and the bad are out. The disciplined are in and the undisciplined are out. But the gospel says the humble are in and the proud are out. So here's what we're invited to do at Christmas. Is to enter honestly into who you really are in all of your insecurities and fears and all of the mistakes you've made and all of your failures and look up and see a God who gives transcendent glory and beauty who brings singing in the night to shepherds who are low and who are humble and broken. And this is the good news of Christmas. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we come to you now with a recognition and with an awareness that we are needy people and that though we may be different in so many ways, in this we are the same, that we sin, that we fail, that we're broken, and yet we are incredibly loved by you. I pray, oh God, for everyone in this room that we would be refreshed again this Christmas by your grace. That we'd be marked afresh not by self-righteousness, 
not by arrogance that so often marks religious, churchy people, but make us a people who are marked by deep humility and with a deep passion to go and to serve others with the same passion and love with which you have come to serve us. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, the word who became flesh to dwell among us and who changed everything. Amen.